Well, I'm sure many of you know the Blues won, right? We are excited that the Blues won. I was on that bandwagon, I'm going to be honest. I didn't grow up a hockey fan, uh, but man, I jumped on as soon as I could and have enjoyed the ride. I'm excited for so many of you. Honestly, uh, I, I have some of those teams I cheer for, and so for many of you, uh, it was the impossible, right? The, the impossible happened. You actually got to celebrate uh, the Stanley Cup coming to St. Louis. There were a few hundred people who showed up in the city this last uh, weekend to, to celebrate. Uh, and what was interesting, I don't know if you know much, but the Stanley Cup has some history. Uh, there's some things that go along with the Stanley Cup. And one of those is you don't touch the Stanley Cup until you've won it. Right? There are players who will not go near or touch the cup. They feel like it's bad luck. There are fans who, if they had the opportunity to touch the cup, they would not touch the cup because their team had not won. And so uh, Nick and John Mark, a couple of our young guys, there were a couple of guys, a few people, you guys, that went down to the parade, and they actually touched the cup, right? The impossible became possible, uh, that which seemed I had to include this in my series. That which seemed invisible became tangible, right? They actually didn't just hear about the cup. They didn't just even see the cup. They put their hands, just briefly, just briefly, uh, they, they touched the cup. We're, we're in this series called Invisible, and, and we're talking about this idea that how do we make the kingdom of God, the good news of Jesus, which seems invisible, doesn't it? How do we make that visible to the people around us? How, how do we make it tangible to people? Uh, really, the, the Christian words that we're looking at are evangelism and discipleship. Uh, evangelism, really, in a really simple way, is just being an advocate for the message of Jesus. To be an advocate for the message of Jesus, to spread the good news to people, specifically, maybe who have never even heard about Jesus. They don't understand the ways of Jesus, and they don't know much about God, and then discipleship is then how do we walk with people? How do we help people who are interested in learning more about Jesus, and how do we help them follow Jesus as we're learning to follow Jesus? Uh, a lot of this comes from a guy I've been reading and listening to, and I wanted to say this every week because a lot of this has come from him and, and how it's changed me, Halter, and so um, there's some great resources. You can look him up, great books that he's written, uh, but, but it has changed me. And so I, as soon as I really felt like uh, I had an opportunity, I wanted to share this with you. And one of the things he talks about in the very beginning is just this incarnation. Everything changes because Jesus comes. God comes into the flesh. He moves into the neighborhood, and he is a good neighbor. He's the best neighbor. And he has impact because he is with people. And then we begin to see the reputation of Jesus is good. And we spent a couple weeks talking about how the reputation of Christians is not always that good. Uh, we, we haven't always aligned ourselves with the ways of Jesus. We have missed it at times. And I think often because of missing it, there's people who have kind of pushed back to the church. They haven't really been interested in it. Maybe they're interested in God, maybe they're interested in Jesus, but they're not really interested in church. And this is what I find interesting, is we often get upset with them, or we blame them. I don't know if you heard what happened yesterday. This was almost a catastrophic event in our country. Uh, Target went down. Did you guys know this? Did you know this? Heather and I, my wife, are standing in line at Target, and then they make this announcement that all registers have gone down, right? There was wailing and tears. 
not of kids, but moms specifically, of what was next. And then they come and they tell us it was nationwide, right? It wasn't just that target. It was every target. And so we, we had some things we were needing to get. We're shopping for my son's birthday. And so we thought, well, it won't take that long. We'll just, we'll just wait. And it was really interesting because the employees of Target went and opened boxes of food. They began passing out food to the shoppers. They opened those really good cookies. Uh, yeah, right? And they opened those and they were passing those out. And then the, a, lot of the star, or a lot of the Target has Starbucks in there. They started making little drinks and passing those out. There were some targets that gave out gift cards to people who were waiting. You know what didn't happen? They didn't blame the shoppers. They didn't blame the shoppers for what was happening. No, what was interesting, and I read about this, it was a USA Today story. It was a big deal. Target took responsibility. They took responsibility for what happened. I think it is key for us as we think about the reputation of Christians that each one of us, each one of us, make this personal, personal, not the church, but each one of us, we make it personal. And we begin to ask ourselves, is my life helping the reputation of Jesus or not? Is my, are my actions, are my words helping the reputation of the church or is it not? We have to take responsibility for that. And if you weren't here, I'd encourage you to go back. It's on our YouTube channel. It's Uh, We have an app that has it on there. I I would encourage you to go back and listen to those. Those were important messages uh, to me, and I would want you to hear those. If you are new today, if you're hearing who Jesus is, and and maybe you don't really know, you've heard things, and and you think certain things about God, and maybe really what you think he thinks about you, just let me tell you, he's not disappointed in you. He's not angry at you. He did not send Jesus to condemn you. He, Jesus has come to save you, to love you and show care and concern. A guy named John Allen Turner, he said this, it's hard to convince people that a God they can't see loves them when a church they can see doesn't seem to like them. Let me say that again. It's hard to convince people that a God they can't see loves them. We, we say that, right? We, we say that God loves you. We, we announce that, not just in here, but outside of this building. There, there are people who are saying, God loves you, God loves you. But if there is something in people that says, that's great that God loves me, but I'm not sure Christians like me, it's going to be hard for them to hear that God loves them. And so we do our part to begin to change the reputation, really not for Jesus, we'll talk about that in a minute, but more for, for Christians. We said this, that, Do you understand, Paul uses the words, that you are Christ's ambassadors? That he actually says, it is as if Christ is making his appeal through you. That that you are a voice piece, a mouthpiece for God. You are representing him. And I told you this, and I'll say it again. So many of you are doing this well. You're doing this well. You are representing Jesus in a great way. And then we said, so we have the incarnation, which leads to uh, this good reputation. If we understand that people matter, right? Jesus comes because people matter. And if people matter, then it leads us to, to treat people in a certain way that then changes the reputation of Christians, which then will hopefully lead to opportunities for conversation. And that's what we talked about last week, this opportunity to begin to talk about God. 
a chance to, to speak about truth and grace. We don't just beat people up with truth. Uh, truth without grace hurts people. Grace without truth hinders people. And so Jesus was perfect at balancing these two things. How did, how did he speak truth to people? Well, the reason he did that is because he was full of grace and full of love. And so as we have these conversations, this is what leads us in those conversations. The only way we can speak truth to people is if we are also putting on display grace. And it's these ongoing conversations. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't go to church as a kid, but when I started going to church, I had this picture of the word would be an evangelist, someone who goes out and speaks. But the thing I thought about and the thing I saw were people who would stand on the corner, uh, maybe with a bullhorn or with a sign. And it just, one, it didn't feel personal. It always felt like people were angry. They were talking about God in an angry kind of way. And what I see in the Gospels, and the more I read, and the more I read about the early church, is it was relational. It was these ongoing conversations. It's what I've seen work in my own life and what I've seen work in the lives of so many of you. It's this ongoing conversation. It's not just these one-offs. And that can happen. Let me just say, that can happen. There can be these moments where you feel God is encouraging you to speak grace to someone to encourage someone, to share your story with someone. That does happen, but for most of it, it's going to be people in your family. It's going to be your neighbors or coworkers. It's going to be the parents of the kids who play on your sport team. It's going to be through relationships that this happens. And when we have the opportunity, we speak. Listen to this in 1 Peter 3.15. We looked at this last week at the end. It says, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you. There's this thought that people will begin to ask you. They'll wonder about what? The hope you have. Give an answer to everyone who asks to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. And so what do we talk about? What, what do we talk about when we begin to have the conversation? What do our conversations sound like when people seem interested or they ask questions or they seek help. Can we really begin to believe that there will be others who investigate the hope that we have, who question why we live the way we do? And here's what I know from my own experience, is life is hard. And if you live a life where you haven't had difficulties or you haven't had hard moments, how many times have those hard moments led you back to God? Maybe led you to God for the first time? I think there's some very specific things that happen in our lives and the lives of the people around us that make people interested to hear about Jesus, that maybe even bring someone to a church building to investigate, investigate the ways of God. It's getting married. It's having children. It's maybe going through a divorce or having marriage problems. It's death. It's the loss of someone. It's disease or sickness. It's disaster, both natural disaster or just disaster happening in someone's life personally. It's the loss of job or the loss of purpose in their life. There are those things that happen to the people we care about, the people we work with, where there's something that begins to happen in their heart and their mind where they begin to wonder about you. How have you made it through those difficult things in your life? How have you made it through loss? How have you held on to hope in the midst of what seems to be a hopeless time? 
How do you have peace where it seems like it's unimaginable or unexplainable? How, how do you begin to create this environment when someone goes through that, they begin to seek out conversations with you? I think it's through the way we live our lives, and we've, we've looked at that. Over the last year, I feel like I have met with more people who have never entered this building on a Sunday morning. It's people I've built relationships with, where something begins to happen in their lives. They know I'm a pastor. Hopefully, they know I'm someone they can talk to. And we begin to meet and we begin to talk. And many of them have never come on a Sunday morning. There are people I've begun meeting with through some connections with you. And so here's what we begin to to look at. Do do you seem like someone that others could speak to? Are you someone that someone could come to and say, look, I, I think you're a follower of Jesus. I see something in your life. I've seen hope in your life when you went through a difficult time. Hey, could we just begin to have a conversation? Could you begin to pray for me? Could you begin to share some things with me? And that's where we begin to find ourselves at the right place at the right time. And that we're willing to begin to share the hope that we have. We, we talk about the statement that, that we want people to belong here. And not just that we want people to belong here, but we want people to belong before they believe. Ho- hopefully you begin to, that, that language hopefully is beginning to sink in for many of you. I've been in places uh, with you where someone else will say that and you'll kind of look at me like, okay, that, we say that too. And it's beginning to like sink in. And it's not just lip service. We, we want that to be truly who we are. Where someone can walk into this place, be a mess, like many of us, and feel like they can come and belong even before they ever believe. And then we'll, we'll, let, we'll let God begin to work in their life and their behaviors. If there's some things that need to change, if there's some practices that need to look different, we'll be truthful, but we'll, we'll err on the side of grace, and then we'll just begin to trust God. But that's not what has always been seen. That's not always what's been put on display for people. Often it has been believe first, behave, and then maybe you can come and belong. And so we create that environment, but here's what I want you to hear me say. It shouldn't just be within the church building. Like, just take this on with your life, that you could belong in relationship with people no matter who they are. Authentic, real relationships. No agendas, no trying to fix people, just really loving and caring for people where they are at. And you belong in relationship with the hope that as the reputation, maybe of what they've thought about Christians, changes, that maybe they'll come to you and you'll have this conversation. Let me just, this seems a little off, but just let me, let me tell you this. There's this guy named Paul we talk about. He writes a lot of the scriptures and just, just hear what he says. He's writing this to a group of Christians who are not doing well. They're struggling with life. They're struggling with a lot of things in their uh, community. And this is what he says. He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Paul's saying, do I, do I have any right to judge someone who hasn't stepped into our community? Do, do I have any right to point out the faults in their lives? He says, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? And this is what he's saying with this word judge. He's saying, shouldn't we pronounce Shouldn't we have conversations with those people that we're close to within the church who are confessing followers of Jesus? We should concern ourselves with the people that we're in community with 
who we see going down a path that maybe isn't good for them. That we see their marriage isn't doing well, that they're making decisions that are destructive to them or their family. Those are the ones, those are our friends that we should have conversations with. Not, not those who we would often see as outsiders who want to point out maybe the faults in their lives. When we do that, we are not creating opportunity for conversation. We seem like often people who just point at the faults in their lives, and we live like this and not like this, right? And so what would that look like? If we begin to do that, and then we begin to have conversations, what do we talk about? Three things. Three things I want to encourage you to talk about if you're taking notes. One, we begin to talk about the kingdom, right? This whole series, bringing God's kingdom to light. We begin to talk about the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? See, a kingdom is a place ruled by a king or a queen. You know that. But for us, the kingdom we believe in and talk about is the spiritual reign or authority of God. Really, when we boil it down, it's the things that we long for that we'll experience in heaven. Listen to this description of, of heaven. He's a guy named John. He has this glimpse, and he's trying to put into language what he is experiencing and seeing. And this is what he says in Revelation 21. If you don't own a Bible, hopefully there's a Bible around you somewhere. You can take that. Revelation 21, 3 and 4. It says this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with man, and he will live with them. They are fully present with God. Fully present with God. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. And then what? So they will wipe away every tear from their eye. No more death, mourning, crying, or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. Man, I, I know many of you at a deep level. That's the longing a lot of us have. No more death or the grief we're experiencing, or the mourning that we have, or the pain. That's not just physical pain. It could be emotional pain. It could be spiritual pain. It's relational pain. Those things that hurt us. Man, we are longing for a day that that is no longer. The things that we experience, the injustice that we see in our world, the, the pain that kids go through that they shouldn't go through, those things that we hate, right? those things that are evil that we hate, they're no longer present in the kingdom of heaven. But you know what I see Jesus talk about? Jesus talks about experiencing the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven here and now. It isn't just a hold on to and wait. It isn't just one day. It is spoken about as if it can be experienced in a small way here and now. It is what he tells us to pray for, that God's kingdom would come. I don't think Jesus is inviting us to pray that just to be let down. I think there is this idea that we can have glimpses of the kingdom of heaven, that we can experience what we'll experience in heaven in a small way. In Matthew alone, the gospel of Matthew, which is uh, the story of Jesus, uh, we see the kingdom of heaven talked about 37 times. In the four Gospels, the, the four documents that, that talk about the, the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, 86 times the kingdom is talked about. The first thing we hear Jesus say in Mark 1.15, he says, the time 
has come. The kingdom of God is near. He doesn't say, hey, the kingdom of God will be experienced one day. Jesus, God in the flesh, comes and he makes this announcement that you can experience the kingdom, part of the kingdom, here and now. I think what he's saying is what your heart really longs for, not selfishly, but what we've been created to experience can be experienced in the kingdom of God. Your desires, what you want in your life, the things that align with God, freedom from addiction, what we've talked about, reconciliation between people, restoration between uh, uh, relationships that have been broken. Those are glimpses of the kingdom of heaven, the things that we long for and hope for. Jesus says, look, the kingdom of heaven is near. And so I think we have to focus on this. We have to pay attention to this. This is what people want to hear about and experience. Not a finger being pointed at them of how they need to change, but an invitation to experience something different. Hugh Halter in his book, Flesh, he writes this. A kingdom is simply a realm where someone gets to reign. And Jesus said life on earth is bad news because it is a dark kingdom ruled by greed and selfishness, and pain, and poverty, and sickness, and war, and abuse, and religious blindness, and death. All this stuff is simply a result of the sin that every person brings into the world. And so when Jesus died for all of our sins, he freed us from having, having to live according to the old kingdom and make it available for anyone to live life in the kingdom of God. Anyone, anywhere, in God's kingdom, there's none of that. Right? And so the struggle comes, and the struggle is real, not just for ourselves, but for those asking, well, why do we not get to experience that all the time? Right? As we talk about the goodness of God and his kingdom, there are some of you and some people you know who are not experiencing that. There is death that they've experienced. There is pain. There is abuse. There are people who get hurt by other people. And so here's the mistake that often comes, and here's where I would encourage you. The mistake comes is when we often point to God and saying that he has made those, thing hap- those things happen in our lives. Whether he allows it, he permits it, he has not caused it. And so what happens is we have the freedom to choose. People choose. I did a wedding last night, and one of the things I always talk about in a ceremony is you get to make the decision on loving one another. That it will be a choice and there will be hard times. There will be difficult moments. And, and as I stand before a couple and they're excited and they're ready and, and I'm, I just tell them, look, there are going to be moments that are hard. And in those moments, you get to make a choice. You either turn your back on each other or you turn towards one another. But you get to choose. No, no one's making them love one another. I don't want my wife to be forced to love me. That's not love. She gets to choose to love me. And so we have this God who allows us to choose to love him, to choose to follow him, to choose which kingdom we'll live into. And so this is what we communicate with people. This is what we point to with people. We say, look, there's a kingdom. There's a different kind of kingdom that, that you're longing for. And God has sent Jesus to establish this kingdom A kingdom that says all are welcomed and invited. A kingdom that doesn't exclude anybody. A kingdom that fights for the forgotten and the outsiders and the outcasts. A kingdom that in the end, 
will make everything right. That's what people want to experience. That's what people want to hear. And so in the kingdom, people who are hungry have food. Uh, People who need clothing are given what they need. There's oppressed who find freedom. There is less injustice. There is true love of our neighbor, our enemies who we don't like, are felt loved by us. These are examples of a radical kingdom, a kingdom that God has established and a kingdom that is good. Matthew 13, 44 through 47, oftentimes Jesus will say the kingdom of heaven is like. He's trying to help people see what it is like, and he says this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls, When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Jesus is trying to explain the kingdom is better than anything else you could experience. Even if you lost everything, if you still had God, if you still had Jesus, it'd be enough. And that's hard. That's hard when you're in the midst of those things. But Jesus is saying, you can experience it. Uh, my son, Cade, who's about to be nine tomorrow, and his friend, Ellis, uh, they were playing with a metal detector up here uh, this week. They were hanging out with me as our, the moms were at camp, and they had found a spot where the, the metal detector was going crazy, right? And so I'd given them a little shovel, and I was like, dig away, you know, see what you find. And I'm in my office working, and they come banging on the door, excited that they had found something, right? And I'm like, oh, my what did you find? And they're like, Kyle, we found this. And I was like, that's awesome, right? There was this joy. I still, I have no idea. It's like the end of some electrical, you know, but for them, there was this joy that they had found something. There is this joy when we find and experience the kingdom. People need to hear about the kingdom. They need to hear about the good news of God. That no matter where they find themselves, no matter the decisions they've made, the kingdom is for them here and now, but also in heaven. And when we talk about the kingdom, the second thing, just the the next two are quick. The next thing is we talk about the king. Every kingdom has to have a king. Well, who is the king? The king is Jesus. We've got to talk about Jesus. I hear non-Christians talk about Jesus. I've had relationships with people who are atheists. They'll tell me, I don't believe in God. They talk about the goodness of Jesus. They defend Jesus with people who are Christians. We we need to talk about Jesus. In in the scriptures, we, we see there were really only one group who didn't want to talk about Jesus or experience Jesus, and those were the people in power. The people who were afraid of losing something because Jesus had come. But the average person, the seeking person, the forgotten person, the one who needed to be set free, the one who had been belittled or condemned, the one who was seeking love or forgiveness, man, they, they wanted to be around Jesus. They, they wanted to hear Jesus say something. 
That's why when we see the miracle of Jesus feeding people, there are thousands and thousands of people there. People came from all over because they wanted to be around Jesus and hear Jesus. The news, the good news that Jesus had come spread quickly. And people came from all over to be with Jesus. There was nobody more perfect than him, nobody more loving than him, nobody offering anything like him. Forgiveness and healing, life abundant and purpose, this is what Jesus has come to put on display. People long for the kingdom even if they don't know it. What all of us need is Jesus. What we need to hear about is Jesus and his love for us. See, we don't have to defend God. We, we don't have to argue with people about God. Just talk about Jesus. Talk about the reason Jesus has come. Well, what has Jesus done? Uh, we, we've looked at this account in John 4. I'm not going to talk about it uh, completely. Uh, if you've never read in John 4 this interaction with this woman that Jesus has, it's an impactful story. Maybe my favorite story uh, that I find in the Bible. And the way Jesus interacts with this woman who is finding herself in the middle of the day at the well because she has a story. And everyone knows her story. And everyone points and everyone whispers about this woman. And so she just goes in the heat of the day, in the middle of the day. She doesn't want to deal with it. And Jesus just happens to find himself at this well with this woman. A woman who is known for the sins that she has committed. And they have this interaction. Jesus offers her living water, this water that will never run dry, the, the water that will meet the needs that she has. And she sarcastically asks, yeah, I'll take that water. Where can I find that water? And that's where Jesus points out her story. He says, go, go find your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And the response is, you're right in saying that. You've had five husbands and the guy you're with now is not your husband. And she quickly changes the subject. And she begins talking about what it means to worship and, 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 and the, the struggle that she's experienced of being a Samaritan woman. And, and then she says this in verse 25. She says this, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. She's saying, I'm, I'm longing and looking and waiting for Jesus. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. This woman, who many would say is far from the kingdom, in her heart says, I just need Jesus. I need the one who will come and tell me everything that I need to know. And Jesus often in these moments would kind of speak quietly about who he was. He would often even hide or he would tell people, don't, don't tell anybody about what's happened. But listen, in this moment, because he knows her, like he really knows her and he sees her and he has heard her. In verse 26, it says, then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Hey, the one you're looking for I'm right before you. I'm here. And then it says the disciples return and surprised to find him talking with a woman, leaving her water jar. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? It says then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to town. The people who she did not want to interact with, the people that she avoided, it says she went back to town and said to the people, the woman who didn't want to be around people is now coming and making this announcement. You get this picture? 
The woman who had once lived in shame and in regret has heard about the kingdom, this living water that will not run dry. She has experienced the king who she longs to be with. And her response is to go tell people. And so she goes and she says this, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? See, people, even when they don't know, they're looking and longing for Jesus. We need to talk about Jesus. Billy Graham was once asked, a great uh, evangelist uh, who has spoken to millions of people, who have led so many people to, to become a follower of Jesus. He was once asked if he would have done anything different. At the end of his life, Billy, Billy Graham, what would you have done differently? He said this, I would have talked more about Jesus. I would have talked more about Jesus, not just trying to get them to become Christians. This is Billy Graham who says, I just, I would have talked more about Jesus. I wouldn't have tried to argue or negotiate or convince. I would have just talked about Jesus. And so the last point, Greg's going to come up. This last point, again, all these are building on, on each one. You have heard this at some point if you're a follower of Jesus. Someone talked to you about the kingdom, you heard about the king, and then for many of you, you responded, right? And so what this woman has done, she has heard about the kingdom, she had experienced the king, and then she tells her story, right? And so you talk about the kingdom, and you talk about the king, king, and then you talk about you. It seems uh, far too much, uh, we, we talk about the other people. We often tell people what they should do or shouldn't do, but what if you just talked about you? Or what if you just told your story? In the conversation, what if you talked about what you were learning and how you were growing? What if you talked about the hope you experienced in the midst of your life? What if you talked about the peace that came only because you experienced who God was? What if you talked about how God has rescued you from the darkness, about how addictions had been broken, about how your marriage, which was in shambles, has been restored and you have been reconciled. We could talk about that. But we talk about it in an honest and vulnerable way. We don't paint it as a picture that we have it all together or that we figured it all out. Actually, in Acts, the early church were told by Jesus that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem. You will bear witness about what has experienced, you've experienced and what you have learned. You are called to be his witnesses. Witnesses to what has happened in your own life, how you've experienced the kingdom, and how you've experienced the king. When you begin to have these conversations, it will often lead to something. Uh, it will begin to lead to a confrontation. Now, I say that word lightly, not an argument. What begins to happen, and you've experienced this, is you're confronted with the truth. You're often confronted with where you're at in your own life, what God wants for you, what God is offering you. And when that happens, then what do we do? Well, what do we do as people begin to hear that and then say, what now? What next? I'm interested in this kingdom. I'm interested in this king. I've heard your story and I've seen the hope that you have. Now what? What do we do? For some of you, you've made that decision. For some of you, maybe that idea is new. Maybe coming around this place for a while, you're beginning to hear about the kingdom, you're hearing about a God who loves you and has something for you. 
Jesus actually declares the kingdom of heaven being near, and then he says two things, repent and believe the good news. Repent, change the way you think. Maybe change the way you think about religion, change the way you think about God or even the church. You repent and you begin to turn, and to believe the good news means something changes in your heart. Your life begins to look different because God is beginning to change you. And maybe that's for you today. But maybe today, for the first time, you would say, look, I've heard about this for a long time, but I've never accepted it in my own life. Maybe you want to do that just where you're sitting, maybe in your own words with, with God. And maybe if you make that decision, you want someone to walk alongside of you, I'd love to be able to do that. Uh, I'd love to be able to talk about questions you may have about what it means to make that decision. I'd be happy to do that with you today. But honestly, if you came with someone, they'd be happy to have that conversation as well. They'd love to be able to point to the kingdom and to the king and what they've experienced with him. Would you stand as I pray? We sing this song together. God, thanks for today. Thanks for the good news that our lives don't have to look the same. Lord, we long for the kingdom. We pray that your kingdom would come in our lives and in our relationships and in our community. We pray for peace. We pray for hope for all people. We pray for abundant life for those we love. We pray that everyone would experience forgiveness and freedom. I'm thankful for the King, God. I'm thankful for Jesus and how that he is all that we need. Would you help us to believe that and experience that? And Lord, I pray for my friends that they would see they have a story, a story of what you're doing in their life and that is an opportunity to share. Would you give them boldness and courage as people ask to be able to share who you are and what you've done. Lord, would you help us? Would you prepare the way as we have these conversations? I pray in Jesus' name.